Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the TPS podcast. That is the Philosopher's Stone podcast with me, your host, Jordan Strauss, and Mr. Sam Laboon. How you doing? Doing good. Just rode a train. <laughs> rode a train? Rode a train. In the train. Rode and in the train. Did you write any Bob Dylan lyrics while you were on there? <laughs> No, but I did listen to Knocking on Heaven's Door because of uh, all the COVID variants that were probably swirling around in there. Yeah, man. You are riddled with variants right now. <laughs> I love how now people are like differentiating whether they got a variant or the original because like the variants are like now they're worse. So it's like, no, I just got the original version. I didn't get the uh, these gross variants people get. Oh, you're a variant carrier? Gross. <laughs> I got the COVID. OG COVID. Yeah. yeah. The vanilla COVID. Yeah. That's how I feel anyways. I just feel like I'm going to get it right. Like on the day I get my vaccine scheduled, I'm going to get it. That's what I think. Uh, it's going to be a down to the wire. Yeah. Some, some comic in Ottawa posted on Facebook that he got a vaccination. And then like before he could get a second shot, he got COVID and got like a full case and everything. Really? Just brutal. Yeah. After he already got one shot. Yeah. Oh, so it's not even over once you get your first shot. No, the first shot doesn't is not like effective really. You need both. That's not what I read at all. I saw, oh, really? I heard that it's it's like seventy three percent protection. Oh, okay. and then the the second shot's just a booster. So that's why they're 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 they delayed giving all the uh, seniors their second shot in order to get everyone their first shot first because the first shot cover does provide like a significant amount of protection. So he might have just been unlucky um, or like an outlier. Okay, interesting. But who am I? I'm not a scientist. Am I a scientist? I guess I am kind of a scientist now. I'm some science of, of the mind. <laughs> a natural philosopher, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. As in I don't read or try to better myself, but if information comes across my brain, I will examine it. Mm-hmm. I'm not a seeker of knowledge. I'm more of an acceptor of new <laughs> Thoughts. <laughs> Open to suggestions. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to be out there seeking the truth or anything, but if it happens to fall on my lap, who am I to judge? You know what I mean? It, hey, that's that's called keeping an open and willing mind to just accept whatever they Oh, it's willing. <laughs> it's almost disgusting how willing my mind is. <laughs> oh, uh, what else is new? You were on a train. Anything exciting? I'm, I'm, I'm building. I'm like, I'm going to look like like Popeye the sailor with this new job I got, Sam. It is just oh, I'm hauling concrete everywhere. Oh damn. It's I still like it though. I'm really liking it. I'm not gonna lie. It's like it's a good job for me. As in for it's it suits my personality. It's pretty pretty chill. Oh yeah. It's a lot it's hard physical work and it's like a lot to learn, but it's so much more like it's so much less frantic than my last job. And mm. that's really what was bothering me all the time. So it's been nice to just kind of relax and just, you know, I know what I know what my every second of my day is going to be for the first five hours of the day. Essentially, it's just this big task that I have to do and it takes about five hours to complete. So that's by the time I'm done that it's like, I only have three hours to fill with miscellaneous shit. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of nice kind of repetitive but it changes like every few weeks there's a new project so this one's coming to an end and then my job will be my tasks will be different when the next job starts so it's enough variety to keep me going but i can also just like get to work pop in my headphones and listen to music in a podcast for the first five hours and essentially not have to talk to anyone <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah uh, i i, I but that's just how it's work. been oh sorry yeah frantic that's just how it's been for the first bit. I don't know. Like, obviously, I, I'm still only like barely aware of what if the big picture going on there. So, my point is, is that I'm enjoying it. Do you know what you're making? What's or that? Do, you, do you know what you're making? Or oh, no, is I, it a mystery? I know what I'm making, but like, I haven't been involved in any of the actual, like, uh, I guess, chemistry part of putting together certain types of concrete for certain different projects, right? Because it's mm-hmm. like it, they have different formulas for each, depending on what they're making, right? Right. And there's a science to that that I am still not even close to understanding. 
Do they do like the uh, the special Roman concrete? Like, didn't the Romans have like some sort of special concrete and they couldn't figure out like how it lasted for so long? And then they, they figured out it was like made with seawater or something. I don't know, but they do have a proprietary blend, apparently. So it is just for all legal purposes stronger than most concrete. I is my understanding. Oh, nice. If like my boss own... ever ends up listening to this, I'm sorry <laughs> if that's incorrect. But lucky for you, we have very few listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the misinformation will not be spread wide. <laughs> yeah, this this podcast is low on the totem pole of like dangerous influencer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our our sphere of influence is like a couple square meters. Yeah, we, we can spread whatever misinformation we want. No one's going to care or no. Yeah, we're not going to be going viral anytime soon. That's fine. We're a grassroots operation here. We're going to build slowly over hundreds of years. You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Like, if we can get immortal, like, just think of the reach this thing could eventually achieve. Yeah. Would you rather be an icicle or a stalagmite? So Whoa. look at it that way. Good question. Yeah. Oh, I've never even thought about that that before. I guess icicles yeah. are like more beautiful. People see yeah, people, but most are. people see icicles, but stalagmites are like hidden. Like most people never see. Yeah, them. and they're down there forever, and yeah. they take forever <laughs> to build up. But the people that do find them uh, appreciate the hell out of them. Damn it! <laughs> this took hundreds That's of years. Our, our podcast is a stalactite. <laughs> and most podcasts that get popular are icicles, okay? Mm. They okay. appear quickly and they're gone with the seasons, usually. Not really, actually. No, actually, <laughs> no. They usually last quite a while when they're popular. Okay, here's here's another one, though. Would you rather be a stalactite or a stalag... Oh, no, sorry. A stalactite or a stalagmite? Yeah. Uh, I feel like you have a lot... Uh, better chance of not being broken if you're stalactite, but mm. bats will poop on you. So you gotta uh, kind of. Well, they'll poop on you if you're stalagmite too. What am I talking about? Yeah, bats will poop on anything. They just won't sleep on you. Uh, if you don't mind sure. bats sleeping on you, then stalagmite's the way to go. And honestly, <laughs> I think it would bug me a little bit. Yeah, bats um, are bats are kind have, of gross. They're just leathery and they're twitchy and they're like you never know they're kind of shifty. You don't know if they're gonna when they're gonna make their move. They started COVID. It's like they're they're either asleep, dead asleep, or like in your hair, <laughs> yeah. trying to bite your your, your soul. Very yeah. cool though. Echolocation is interesting. Yeah, echolocation. There was a there was a trilogy a, uh, that I used to read over and over again when I was a kid called Silver Wing, hmm. and it was about bats. And the bats were like gang fighting bats, if I recall. So the main character was a bat called Silverwing, who was like, I forget, man, it was so long ago. But like he had one wing that was like smaller than the rest of uh, than his other wing. And then like that was a disadvantage. But then he somehow turned it into like, he's able to turn real sharp or some shit. <laughs> Anyways, and then I just remember the bad guy in the first one was this giant uh, vampire bat. Ooh. And they're like, but I do remember a scene, like one part of the book was like describing how it felt to navigate with echolocation. Mm. It was pretty cool. Check out Silverwing. There's a famous philosophy paper called What Is It Like to Be a Bat? Really? Yeah. It's like, it's like a famous uh, paper about consciousness and um, huh. how we can never know what it is like to be a bat. Well, I could have told you that without a fucking paper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was reading that. I, I, I was so frustrated reading that because reading this guy's paper because I'd been trying to do this joke on stage for so long about how like I went to the to the bathroom at the university. Yeah. And I was like, you being in the urinal and this baby spider like came down from the ceiling and started like trying to make a web on me as I was peeing. Yeah. And I was like trying to figure out like, man, how do I make a joke about this? And I was like trying it for so long. And then I read this guy's paper and he had a very similar situation happen to him, which is he would go to the urinal and he would pee and there'd be a spider in there. And he would take it out and put it like on the side. And then the next day he would come back and the spider would be back in the toilet. Yeah. And so his version, his, his version was so much better. And so I just like abandoned it. It was probably a little bit more eloquent. I'm guessing yeah. if oh, it yeah, got published in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Much more eloquent. I was <laughs> thinking, of, well, 
Actually, I was playing my drum set, which is for sale right now. If anyone's wanting to buy a, a, a awesome drum set, I was playing drums and I was hitting the cymbal really hard, and I noticed there was a spider on my cymbal, like oh, clinging for its life. I was like, "Do spiders have ears? Because this thing must be just straight up blown out right now." Oh God! Yeah, <laughs> could you imagine? Uh, it's hilarious. How loud! Imagine like a a drum cymbal the size of like two football fields, and you're standing on it when a giant swings like a, a redwood tree at it. <laughs> I think it would just like shatter your entire body. Like your just body would just be I shattered. Think it would. <laughs> your bones would just fucking disintegrate inside your body. Yeah, like your whole body. The vibrations would just liquefy your entire interior. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you would. I, it, it would be more than just one concussion. You'd have like you'd get like a thousand concussions in sequence, just like within the span of two seconds. Fuck yeah, dude! Sounds like a good concert to me. Giant rock. <laughs> <laughs> it's only metal if you bleed from your ears and your eyes. <laughs> oh man. Ah, uh, so what are we talking about, Sam? Oh, we we've got a great topic today. Yeah. To lead into it, though. I guess I could say briefly, uh, the topic today is uh, a paper written by a Canadian philosopher named R. Scott Baker, and he's the author Uh of a really great uh, fantasy series called The Prince of Nothing, and he wrote a a philosophy paper called On Alien Philosophy, so we're going to be talking about that. Ooh, this Uh, sounds like something I'm going to like. Yeah. I need a palate cleanser after the Dow episode. Oh, yeah. um, really. Speaking of that, I wanted to, I remember we were, we were talking about in that episode how the Buddhists have this idea that there's no, um, like there's no such thing as a chair. You remember that? Yeah. And I feel, yeah, and that I was in our cross cast with the Bible Beaters. Yes. The Bible Beaters podcast. Excellent podcast. Um, Excellent. And uh, I, th- I think I found a better way to explain, explain that argument right so imagine you're a martian okay but i just wanted to tell you <laughs> this is your last fucking chance sam all right last kick of the can <laughs> okay last kick of the can all right so imagine you're a martian right and you yeah. uh you've never seen a chair before and you come to earth and you are like walking around and you happen to see a chair you don't see anybody sitting in it you just see a chair yeah the martian will just see an odd collection of sticks that are nailed together yeah. It won't see a chair the way we see a chair. Because the chair yeah, is mean, the function or the purpose of the thing. Right. And if you don't know the function or the purpose, then you don't see that. You just see the parts. Well, how many times have you... Uh, I mean, maybe... Like, everybody's had that moment in their life where they're, they find something and they can't figure out what it's for. Yes. Like a tool or uh, some sort of widget. Or something that that belongs to some, to some sort of machine that they don't they've never used before. When you first see that item, you can only speculate as to what it's for, right? Yeah, you wouldn't know that it's a chair just by looking at it if you don't if you've never used a chair before. Right? Yeah, Is you that just what you see like at? yeah, exactly. You just see the the parts. You don't see it as like yeah. a, a thing. Like this actually happened to me on acid once when I saw a gas station. Like I knew it was a gas station, <laughs> but like I couldn't. It was weird. It was like I, all I could see were the parts of the gas station, and I knew what it was for, but at the same time, I didn't know what it was for, and it was, it was really weird. Like it could have been anything. Oh man, I hate to hype another podcast on our podcast, but uh, there was a great Sam Harris podcast with a psychedelic uh, professor. Is all I could describe him as. Oh really? And he went through like all. He's like the the uh, the. He made microdosing popular. Like he's like a really scientifically minded psychonaut, but he's only into acid. Like he doesn't really he had nothing really good to say about mushrooms or DMT <laughs> or anything like that. He's just like, I'm about that LSD baby. And he uh he went through like all the different um levels of trip you can have based on the dosage. And ah. yeah, it's pretty gnarly what what some people do, at, like if you're going to go in for like a guided trip to like really change something in your life, like an intent, your intentions are to like sort out something like trauma or something. Mm-hmm. They give such high doses to those people. Like really don't remember who you are level doses. Holy shit. Yeah. 
That's like some Charles Manson type of shit. Nuts. Yeah. He said that the best, like, so this is how he described it, like, to deal with, like, if you're going to do LSD in order to, like, examine some, like, traumatic thing in your past, he said, you don't want to think about it as you're coming up on the high, right? Because you're not, you're not equipped to deal with it on the way up. Mm. So they shoot you way past that into the stratosphere where you don't even remember you have trauma because you don't even know who you are. Whoa. And then you're up past there. And then on the way down, when you can realize your sense of self again and you retain your, you regain your ego, that's when you can go and try and deal with those traumatic experiences in your past because now you have like, your like consciousness was ripped open for like a few hours. And now you have like the mental capacity or expanded consciousness to look at those memories in a kind of, objective way yeah you've like been detached from them sort of yeah wow. but i just i've never thought of it how i've never thought of it like that where like you fling someone so far into the the trip that they can't even recognize who they are and then on their way back is when they're ready for like therapy <laughs> that's so crazy yeah that's like that's what's interesting about it is like you can do that for therapy purposes yeah but you could also do that like for like nefarious purposes, like instead of trying to help someone overcome trauma, you could do that to like change their traumatize them, traumatize them, yeah, change yeah. their personality, yeah, yeah. It's scary shit. And what was another thing he said uh, that was like resonated? Oh, I just had it in my head. Um, he, oh yeah, he liked it was describing the difference of the difference of effect of a psychedelic trip as to whether you decide to go outwards or inwards Mm. like what inwards would be shutting yourself in a room turning on some music and like laying in a dark room right and just going into your mind yeah they said that's like the best way to deal with like to get like therapeutic effects Mm -hmm. and then outwards is like if you want to become feel connected to the universe and you go and explore like the woods or something Mm. Yeah, which I've experienced both of those types of, I've had both of those types of experience, and I, I it really it resonated with me, brother. <laughs> no, 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 I I agree. There's definitely two ways to do it, I've, and uh, the outward one is usually more fun. Um, yeah, I, it's more fun and less scary, is yeah. what it is. <laughs> the inward one is can get get rough. <laughs> yeah, I think if you're gonna do one of those inward trips, you have to go into it fully prepared to have like some really uncomfortable moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I highly agree with that. Anyways, where were you? Oh, we hadn't even gotten onto the subject. We were yeah, just talking yeah. about the chair. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we can get into it. Um. Well, I guess we were talking about like a Martian seeing stuff, so it's kind of sort of like an alien. But yeah. Anyway, so um. Yeah. This guy, our Scott Big, I actually sent him like a message saying we were going to talk about his his stuff on the podcast. So who knows? Really? Maybe he'll notice. I don't know. Maybe not. Could you imagine if we got like a legit philosopher on as a guest? Oh my god! Uh, we'd probably have all of our fans would probably say we sold out. Yeah, <laughs> I made it very Getting clear actual. that it's a very casual podcast, like not very rigorous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, my friend, he's kind of an idiot, so you just got to bear with him. <laughs> oh man, I, I don't know if I'd be comfortable having a real philosopher on. It'd be we'd get embarrassed, I think. <laughs> yeah. I would be, I think I'd be so far out of my depth that I would just sit in silence. Well, you'd be fine because, um, like, you don't, you have the excuse of having never studied it before. I'd be. That's true. Be I would have to, like, get him to put it in, like, layman's baby's terms. <laughs> yeah. But um, this paper is. Lay babies. Lay babies. <laughs> anyway, I guess, like, some, <laughs> some background on this guy. Um, he wrote a, uh, a really fantastic fantasy series that I recommend to everybody called The Prince of Nothing. And uh, it's sort of like um, it's sort of like The Lord of the Rings. Um, actually, no, it's more like it's like what if Jesus was like evil, I guess is like, or not evil, but um, so remember like how Plato had this whole thing where he wants society to be, to be ruled by philosopher kings? Yeah. Who are just like so much smarter than everybody else that nobody can really like comprehend what's going on yeah they're just like you feel dumb in their presence so you don't even bother arguing with them yeah it's like they like the way baker put it was like they they can manipulate 
other human beings the way adults can like easily manipulate children. Oh, damn. Like they're just that much smarter than, yeah. So like David Blaine. Like David Blaine. (laughs) 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 Are you want to see a magic trick? (laughs) So he's got like this uh, fantasy series where there are these monks who have been like hidden away for like thousands of years, like training and like perfecting their minds and doing these weird breeding programs and stuff. And they're Mm -hmm. like the top monk from the whole school sort of goes out and um, sort of ends up basically taking over the world because he's just so, so much smarter than everybody and he can easily manipulate people. Um, And this is set in what? It's set in like a fantasy world, but it's sort of different because the sort of like the inciting incident of the whole fantasy series is this spaceship arrives and crashes into the planet and these aliens come out who have this plan that they need to basically reduce the number of souls in the universe to like a certain level. Uh-huh. And if they can do that, then, then the gods like won't be able to see them anymore and like see all the right. crazy shit that they do. It's, it's really good. I'm explaining it terribly, but it's, it's a, uh, it's fantastic. Okay. Give me that. Give me a quick, like, so, just to recap this book, right? The main character is the monk. That's like the king. Yeah, main character is this monk named Kellis. I think is how you say it, Kellis. And he is sort of like the descendant of these like kings who used to rule. So it's easy to compare it to Lord of the Rings, right? So in Lord of the Rings, yeah. there's the uh, the battle between Isildur and, and Sauron, like way back in the day, right? And then. Isildur's line sort of gets, they think Isildur's line has ended. But then when shit's going down again, when Sauron is coming back, Aragorn shows up and it's like, oh, Isildur's line has not ended. Like Isildur, like his heir is back. Yeah. To, to finish the job. That Strider, man. Strider, yeah, exactly. I preferred him as Strider personally. Yes. And Aragorn is a member of this group of rangers called the uh, the Dunedain. Yeah. And they have sort of been like keeping watch over humanity all this time, sort of in secret, protecting the Shire and, and stuff like that because the ring is in the Shire. Oh, so he knew, Aragorn knew, knew that Frodo had the ring the entire time? Actually, actually, I don't know about that. Um, that might be wrong. But um, basically the Dunedain have been sort of like watching over okay. uh, the, king, the kingdoms of men, like sort of from the secret. And they... They're descendants of Numenor. They live longer. They're like stronger, stuff like that. And then, sort of, when when shit's going down again, um, Aragorn sort of reveals himself and becomes the king again and leads the armies against Mordor. Yeah. Also, spoiler alert. Spoiler. Spo- <laughs> yeah, I <sorry>. mean, <laughs> Jesus, man! It like yeah. just came out. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. Um, and uh, okay, but spoilers for the Prince of Nothing coming up. Um, Okay. But so Prince of Nothing, um, instead of the Dunedain, these monks are called the Dunyane. So they have similar sort of names. Oh. So it feels like it's a reference. Feels but, like it's a ripoff to me. Well, Just kidding. It's sort of, well, no, I wouldn't say it's a ripoff. It's, um, it's like an inversion. Okay. Because instead of sort of being heroic, they are, they don't watch over people. They're not like for thousands of years. Sorry, I'm like getting it all tangled up, but. Untangle yourself immediately. Okay, so take the Isildur character, right? Yeah. So imagine that Isildur, he, his whole family gets killed except for one heir. Yeah. Who's like alone in the castle. Everyone's dead from some plague. And there's just one heir left. The armies of the Dark Lords are ravaging the, the planet. Yeah. And the, the Dunyane sort of show up from nowhere at this palace and take this kid into their order. And for thousands of years, they're sort of in secret in the secret castle training and like honing their intelligence and all this creepy shit. Mm -hmm. Sort of like what we're doing right now. Sort of like what we're doing right now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But they preserve this line. Right. Because there's this prophecy that eventually an heir from this line will return and defeat the, uh, the evil. And so, um, so it's sort of like instead of the, the Dunedain, which are like these noble rangers who, you know, lead by example, and they're like very straight with people. The Dun, the Dunyane will uh, 
just manipulate everybody. They don't really, right? They'll like sacrifice people. Um, they'll frame people for things. They're really, they're really a shady bunch. Real thug shit. Real, Real thug shit. Yeah. Thug shit. Yeah. But anyway, it's it's a it's a really fantastic fantasy series. So I highly recommend it. Well, you got it here first, folks. Highly endorsed fantasy series by Sam Lebunsky. Yeah, I'm doing What's a terrible again? job. Of Secret Prince. It's Secret called the Prince? Prince, the Prince of Nothing. Ah, uh, pretty much what I said. Um, well, check it out. Even though you just got the whole thing spoiled, but how does this? So this author wrote a paper, and that's what he's a. Like, he's discuss. also a, like a real philosopher. Like he's a professional philosopher. But this is a particularly okay. cool paper that he wrote. He's not like me, just like a really, really talented <laughs> amateur philosopher. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he gets paid. <laughs> oh, fuck. Sell out. Yeah. <laughs> Real philosophers know that getting paid is just against the heart and game. Uh, yeah. The heart and soul of the game. Hey, I don't think Socrates got paid. He was quite against the That's why he's my other, boy. So. <laughs> That's why he's my boy, Blue. Anyway, so this paper... um. So I'll read, this is an interesting quote, actually, from Immanuel Kant. And this is, the, this is the quote that opens the paper. It's a bit of a long quote, but I'll read it out. The highest species concept may be that of a terrestrial rational being. However, we shall not be able to name its character because we have no knowledge of non-terrestrial rational beings that would enable us to indicate their characteristic property and so characterize this terrestrial being among rational beings in general. It seems, therefore, that the problem of indicating the character of the human species is absolutely insoluble, because the solution would have to be made through experience by means of the comparison of two species of rational being. But experience does not offer us this. Ooh, okay, like that's like when you started that sentence, it was like the gun going off and I started running with you. And then like <laughs> within four steps, there was a, a, a massive boulder that just hit me from the, from the side and threw me into a mud pit where I drowned. So you're going to have to kind of go back and explain, break that down for me a bit because okay. I had high hopes when he started talking and by the end, I felt like a slug in the mud. <laughs> Okay, I think it's more, probably more Kant's language that's at fault here. Yeah, he's trying to impress some babe with that. <laughs> so the babes of <laughs> Königsberg. Yeah. <laughs> he's obviously trying to impress impress the local wenches with his fancy language. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a good question. I wonder if Kant went to parties. Um, anyway, so, I don't know. I think David Hume was the more of the social of the two. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so basically, the he's saying like, you want to, we want to understand ourselves, our human species. Like we want to understand ourselves as rational beings, but he's mm-hmm. saying it's, it's impossible to do this because we only have ourselves to look at. We can't compare ourselves with like a different species of rational being right? to see, like to put ourselves. If we're contrast. rational. Well, we know we're rational, but to really understand something you can't just study it in isolation you have to compare it to other things that you know about well the, actually that kind of ties into what we were talking about before is that with these high dose led trips are supposed to led lsd <laughs> trips are supposed to essentially remove you from your own consciousness and so you can look at yourself as an objective thing like that would be the closest in this guy's opinion this this professor i was listening to thing to being like you're turning yourself into an alien to, to observe your own mind from a different perspective way outside your natural way of thinking. Right. You know what I'm saying? No, no, no. Yeah. I think that's, that's exactly it. Like being able to compare two disparate things can help you understand them better. And if, but if you can't do that, then you're sort of stuck. You're stuck in yeah. yourself and you can't really like see what's going on. Right. Um, you don't have perspective. Yeah. And so, Emmanuel Kant is saying, like, we'll never be able to understand ourselves unless we encounter another different kind of rational being that we can compare ourselves so to. So we can ask it, what are we? What are, <laughs> hey, hey, you, hey, what are we? What do you see? Hey, hey, <laughs> hey, buddy, stop your flying over us. Come down here, let us know. 
Yeah. Hey. Who the fuck are we? <laughs> wrap, up, wrap up those tentacles and tell me about myself. Yeah. What the hell are we doing here? <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> the hell? What the fuck are we doing over here? Am I a rational <laughs> being or what? <laughs> yeah. So spill the beans. Spill the beans. Spill the beans, Zyborg. Whatever the fuck. There. <laughs> anyway. Um. So R. Scott Baker, he wrote this this thing. It's called on alien philosophy. And so it's sort of thinking about if there were alien philosophers, what would they be like? Would they be like? Is this? Can we think about what they would be like? Well, no, I think that's the entire point there. Is that we wouldn't be able to... Well, yeah, okay. So, yeah, I agree. Like, on the one hand... Well, yeah, he makes... So he makes a distinction between, like... So he's he's talking about aliens that are, like, kind of like us. Yeah. In some sense. But there's there's sci-fi stories about things like... There's a great sci-fi novel called Solaris, Mm -hmm. which is also made into a movie, which is about, like, this... A planet, like a sentient planet, and it's just you just can't understand it. Like, right? It tries. It seems like it's trying to communicate, but it's just impossible to understand. Right. The aliens that he's talking about in this paper are similar to us in their cognition, and he thinks okay. that's possible because on Earth we have there are different kinds. There are multiple intelligent beings on Earth besides humans, right? Like, there's humans, but there's also like octopi are very intelligent yeah but octopi and humans diverged so far back on the evolutionary tree that when they diverged they weren't intelligent right and yet over the millennia both kinds of creatures homo sapiens and cephalopods they both converged on intelligence as a trait through evolution okay yeah i understand yeah did you see my yeah we already talked about my octopus teacher Oh yeah, on this podcast, <laughs> didn't we? That really yeah. did change my opinion about octopi. Like, let's leave them alone, or let's like integrate with their society fully. You know what I mean? <laughs> let's get them jobs. <laughs> <laughs> it could do the jobs of eight people. Man, can you imagine an octopi <laughs> working at a restaurant? Like, man, dude, the McDonald's drive-through would never move so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's like Monsters Inc. They go to the uh, the sushi house, and there's an octopus making sushi. Oh yeah, or something. It's got like Harryhausen's. I feel like we could we could legit train or like teach an octopus to do like minimum wage labor. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! (laughs) Like, dude, like get an octopus down at the bottle depot and start sorting. Like, start sorting. I'm sure sure that they would do it. They could totally do it. They could easily do that. Yeah, they'd be faster than fucking Gary. (laughs) Sprained wrist all the time. (laughs) Carpal tunnel. Can't get carpal tunnel in a tentacle. <laughs> well, yeah, I would think. And honestly, tentacles are way better design. Oh man, like I just feel like they're way more useful and like less prone to injury. I was watching something about uh, I don't know what it's called, like their camouflage, like their ability to change the texture and color of their skin. Oh yeah, yeah, it yeah. is insanely complex. It's so complex. Yeah. They're like debatedly a higher form of life than us. Debatably, you could debate it. Yeah, well, their arm—they're like they're—they're they're ten- they don't have a brain, so they like their body is a brain. They have brains, don't they? Octopus, octopoi. They don't. Have, they don't have like a a brain like we do. Like their nervous system is—they have like the same sort of level of neural neural connections throughout their entire body as we have just in our brain. Crazy. And like, I think I read, I remember something saying about like each arm has its own, almost like a mind of its own, like each tentacle. Yeah. Because, yeah. Can op- like operate each arm, independently. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, there's, their tentacles are sort of like semi autonomous, I guess, because they have yeah. so many neural connections throughout their whole bodies that like the arms like sort of think on their own. Yeah. 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 <laughs> really weird. <laughs> Nuts. Okay, let's try and get back on this paper because <laughs> I feel like it's 36 minutes into the podcast and you've just started explaining what this paper's about. Yeah, that's good. 36 minutes, I think it's good. Okay. So, so, he, uh, so he thinks like, right, so on Earth we see that, you know, wildly different, you can arrive at intelligence through a wildly different evolutionary path, right? Well, we're walking around yeah. on land, octopuses are underwater, totally different environments, and yet both 
somehow converge on intelligence. So it's possible mm -hmm. that out there in space on another planet, there are alien organisms that have also converged on intelligence, similar to how we have. Not only is it possible, it's almost guaranteed happened. Mm. Like statistically, you think? Statistically, I think, yeah. Yeah. It's either mm -hmm. that or sentient life is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly rare. Mm. But when you have a universe the size of our, I don't even know if rarity, like saying something is rare <laughs> still means there's like billions of examples of it, yeah, right? Good point. <laughs> good point, yeah. Like what could be rare in a universe this big? Yeah, like if yeah. we're... Like, <laughs> If we really are, if they had some sort of like radar pulse that was so effective and covered the, and they were able to scan the entire universe for life and they legit mm. couldn't find any other sentient life, then I would immediately start being religious again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Damn. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, shit. <laughs> that would be a huge plot twist. Yeah. Oh, man. That would be nuts. Okay, so so also right, so we, that would be like. Do you think that would give humanity a would it would that be a force of unity if we knew beyond a doubt we were the only ones out here, or would that just be, uh, oh, these are all of the living things available to conquer, so I'm going to conquer them, or would it be? Do you think it'd be more divisive or unifying if we found out we were the only ones in the universe? Mm, I think it would be, um, it would be more divisive. Like we'd hate each other more. Yeah, maybe. I honestly, I think that we always end up going that direction. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That's sort of like the Dune series. There's like, there's no aliens in Dune. It's just that humans have been like settling the, the galaxy for so long that like, yeah, humans have become aliens to each other because they're so isolated right. from each other. Yeah. Yeah. They're so different on, from one planet to the next base purely on like the environment there. Yeah. Ex yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so imagine there are these aliens, right? There's intelligent aliens out there. Baker calls them convergians because they've also converged on intelligence. So it's a cool, cool right. alien name, convergians. Convergians. Yeah. So uh, so yeah. So what would the philosophy of such creatures be like? And can we learn more about our own philosophical pursuits by comparing ourselves to these convergian philosophers? So here's a good quote from Baker. Quote. This is because it transforms the question of alien philosophy into a question of alien ignorance. If we can guess at the kinds of ignorance a biological intelligence would suffer, then we can guess at the kinds of questions it would ask, as well as the kinds of answers that might occur to them. Right. I think, yeah. Does that make sense? Like, if we were thinking about philosophy, we got to think about, like, what don't we know? And then that's what, what we're going to Yeah, so we would decide. have to guess what they don't know. Yes, exactly. Based on what we don't know. Yes. Yeah. What if they had the other it. half of like the picture and like they kept on <laughs> we, all of our questions they could answer immediately and all of their questions we could answer immediately? <laughs> yeah. We're like, what's the best sport? And they're like, oh, soccer. We're like, oh, cool. <laughs> uh, we call it footy, actually, footy. over here. We call it footy. <laughs> and I just look at that alien in the face and be like, get the fuck off my planet. Yeah. Get back to. Uh, right if you're still seven. petty enough to care about whether you call it footy or soccer, then you're not as evolved as I hoped you'd be. Yeah, seriously. Okay, so 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 one way we can think about this is we can think about ourselves and like our cognition. And one thing that might that we might have in common with other aliens is that our intelligence, our cognition, is bounded by what is quote good enough to achieve reproductive success. Right, so we are really good at some kinds of thinking, and we're really bad at other kinds of thinking. So, like for yeah. example, oh, like so for example, we are early humans, very good at like throwing spears, bows and arrows, um, yeah, at moving targets and things like that. Right, we're very good at sort of just yeah. collecting berries, skinning things, digging, yeah. stacking. Yeah, we can do all these things. Yeah. But we don't know, like if you catch a ball, right? If someone throws a ball to you and you have to catch it, right? You can do that very easily without even thinking. But yeah. if you had to work out all of the math of that, like the mass of the ball, the gravity, like oh, you wouldn't be man. able to do it. 
I honestly so think about this all the time. Like all the little calculations your brain does just to like, like even it's amazing to me when like you're about, say you're like, you see someone knock like their, their water bottle, they're knocking it off the counter and you without thinking about even whether or not it's a good or bad thing it's following, you just instinctively will reach out and catch it. And mm-hmm. Like all the little like adjustments and choices and like, all the calculations you'd have to be like, imagine you had to design a robot that could do that. All the programming you'd have to do to like make that happen. And you can just do it without even voluntarily initiating that protocol. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I I was just going to use that example. Like it's so easy for us to like learn how to walk. And yet I don't know how long, I don't even know if they've managed to get a robot to like actually walk as easily as a human. Well, they're fucking doing backflips and shit now. So, oh, that's true. okay, yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> they're doing parkour. Uh, so, but yeah, ten years ago they were walking around like they were like a, like a two six of whiskey deep, <laughs> like barely able to stand up. <laughs> and now they're doing backflips, <laughs> serving you drinks, they're Chasing, just spilling everything. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. love those like clips of like bad robots that just like just suck at like. Putting ketchup on yeah. a burger, they just get it everywhere. Yeah, I loved all the like. There was like test footage at at, at like the MIT where it was at Boston Boston Dynamics Boston where they're building all those. Where they're doing like it's just like a, a huge. It's like a a compilation of images of people like pushing the robots down and like to like test their balance, and they're like hitting them with hockey sticks and shit. Brutal. <laughs> yeah. Literally looks like just a bunch of scientists bullying this robot. And I'm like, yeah. oh man, you better hope they don't see this footage when they fucking get sentient. <laughs> yeah. 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 So like not only, yeah, so like not only do we not understand how we know things, there's a ton of information that we don't even see, right? Like, like think about this coronavirus, right? Like nobody, our sensory apparatus isn't good enough to see microscopic objects. Mm-hmm. And it's not obviously it's not the case that it's physically impossible to do that because we can build microscopes and stuff, but we evolved in a certain way that we can only really see things of a certain size. Yeah, so we're totally ignorant about like particles, bacteria, cells, until we built the tools to see these things. We can only really wrap our head around a certain uh, scale, right? Which is mm-hmm. very small scale or large, like it's a small section. Yeah. Of what is as far as size goes, because if you're going bigger, you go all the way to the expansiveness of the entire universe, which we can't wrap our head around. And if you want to go smaller, then we're going down to like electron size, which we also can't wrap our head around, really. Mm-hmm. So we only really can uh, rationalize and understand this one segment of size that relates to our own body. Yeah, because that's all we needed to. That's all we needed to like have. Yeah, evolutionary success, like back in our ancestry. So, what if there was a sentient life out there that needed to have a deeper understanding of a bigger slice of like that size scale? Yeah, exactly. They would be different. They would have like different sensory organs. Yeah. So they could they could fully observe and understand like the solar system in its entirety and its scope, and also like be inside of a molecule like you know what i mean like they they would be able to experience and rationalize both of them accurately yeah that would be that would be pretty remarkable if they could do both that would be like a super alien yeah yeah or maybe that's just like pretty standard and we're just idiots (laughs) (laughs) we're just severely limited by our biology yeah Yeah. so so baker he calls that a neglect structure Uh uh-huh so like our our senses, our brain is structured in a certain way that it only really pays attention to certain kinds of information. And then it just neglects huge swaths of other information. And you don't even know that you don't know about that. <laughs> you don't know, now you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's he, a, yeah, it's that, you know, that classic word, that classic old phrase, you don't know, you don't know, you yeah. know? <laughs> um, in the lead up to the Iraq war, Donald Rumsfeld, the defense secretary who sort of lied about weapons of mass destruction he yeah had a famous quote where he said there's there's known knowns which is things that you know that you know yeah then there's known unknowns which are things that you know you don't know and then there's unknown <laughs> unknowns which are things that you don't know that you don't know 
Ah, that's good stuff. Just listening, just listening to this guy like, you fucking weasel. <laughs> <laughs> so what we are dealing with here are several known unknowns that are also known knowns that are not known. So what we know is that we don't know what you know, you know? You know. <laughs> Anyways, we're invading Iraq. Yeah, by the way. <laughs> we found yellow cake. <laughs> <laughs> What we do know is that we might know that we don't know that there's weapons of mass destruction there. Okay. Well, I'm off to Florida. Yeah. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Go send the troops. I'm going to get drunk by the beach. Yep. See you later. (laughs) Yeah. So, so Baker says, uh, the convergians, they would have their own version of natural philosophy, a history of attempts to answer big picture questions about the nature of nature in the absence of decisive data. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, like we, how we speculated for thousands of years about whether we're the center of this universe or not, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They would have a, a whole different set of speculations based on the facts they have. Yeah, based on their environment and based on like how they needed to evolve to succeed in that environment. Mm-hmm. They'd have their own neglect structure that they had to like deal with. I wonder if it like it's because it's wild how it seems like every once in a while in human history, someone just has like a very profound insight about the natural world out of like nowhere. Mm. Sometimes it seems like. I mean, it's so rare. Most of the time you're building off the work of others or the ideas of others. But sometimes like people will have profound insights way before the world is ready to hear it. And then yeah. obviously you kill those people. <laughs> um <laughs> Galileo, Einstein. I wonder if that that's still even possible to happen now. Like, is mm. there someone right now that's having that's had some sort of profound insight that will be proven later by science in like a hundred years from now, or or two thousand years from now? I feel like is our picture's almost so it's 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 not complete, but it's like it's way closer to being a complete theory that to have some sort of like off the cuff idea that is so beyond what we know already, but ends up being true thousands of years from now. You know what I'm saying? Like how Galileo realized that we were at the center of the solar system and then we killed him. And then like, (laughs) I don't know how much later we realized he was right. I wonder if it's even possible for something like that to be going on right now. Well, I think Baker actually addresses something like this, and he calls it the sufficiency problem, right? Oh, so I mean, the way that you can just tie the bullshit I say into the lesson is really actually impressive to me sometimes. So. Well, hey, it's, I don't think it's bullshit. I don't think it's bullshit. Um, but like, that's a legit question. But um, so he he's his point is like, right? So we have we have our neglect structure, right? Mm-hmm. And we are we are stuck on Earth. We're in this vast system, the universe, and our cognitive capacities and our sensory apparatus allow us to get a certain amount of information. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that the information that we do glean, the information that we glean off of this, it appears to be the totality of available information because we have no idea how much we're missing. Yeah. So we think we have sufficient information to draw conclusions about the system that we're looking at. Yeah. But we're wrong because, and so the example is Aristotle, right? So back in the, this is Baker's example. So Aristotle would look up at, this, at the heavens and he would see the stars and the planets and they were sort of perfect. They always followed the same path with like such perfect regularity. Yeah. It was just year in, year out. Everything was just perfectly unchanging and, and amazing. Mm-hmm. And then on earth, everything is constantly chaotic and changing and crashing into each other and there's no order to it. Right. And so he thought that these were two completely different, like, ontological categories, basically. When in reality, they were part of the same system. Mm-hmm. And um, he just didn't have enough information to know that. Right. So, like, right now, we think, like, oh, man, our picture's almost complete. But we really have no idea about that. Well, like, yeah, I mean, I guess that's proof, like, that discovery they had at... Uh whatever that lab was in Chicago where they think they've like kind of 
discovered that there might be like another fundamental force of nature out there that we didn't know about before. I was mm-hmm. watching some YouTube video about it last night, and <laughs> it was just like way beyond my abilities. Dude. Oh yeah, I read, it, like read the YouTube video was designed for people that don't know anything about physics to understand it, and I still could not even grasp what he was talking about. Yeah, I, I remember reading that. It was something about muons. It was like another force. Muons, yeah. So a muon is a is almost it's a, like a different type of electron, is what I gathered from the video. Mm. That has like a different uh, magnetic rotation. Oh, uh, like I said, I didn't understand it at all. But yeah. that is one one sentence I do remember <laughs> was that it's a, a muon is like an electron with a different spin on it. Is I think okay. well. I'm sure we have a lot of physicists listening to this podcast. So um, if you guys want to write into tpspodcast420 at gmail.com and correct me, on, please do it. Let Give us it know. I want to listen. In fact, you don't even have to be a physicist to write in. You can be the dumbest kid in your class. Yeah. Einstein was a mail clerk. Figure out how to type. Send in an email to tpspodcast420 at gmail.com. Sam, you're going to put it in the description, aren't you? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so, okay. Just as we have this neglect structure towards the outside world, uh-huh. we also have this neglect structure to ourselves, our own minds. Right. Here's a quote from Baker. Here on Earth, neuroscience has become a mass industrial research enterprise, and we still remain largely biomechanically opaque to ourselves. A black box, right? So we still don't really even understand ourselves, uh huh, because we haven't, we've never needed to, right? We can guess that similarly to us, the convergian philosophers will also be sort of black boxes to themselves. Mm-hmm. So the final quote: "Trapped in a similar structural bind vis-à-vis themselves, our navel-gazing convergians are also likely to mistake." Properties pertaining to neglect or ignorance with properties pertaining to what is the case. Distortions in signal or facts of being. Well, that's it. That is what it is, everybody. That <laughs> I, I get that. We're blocked by our own cognitive limitations about what we can even understand of the universe based on our biology, right? Yeah. And they will have the same blind spots uh, from where, where they're looking, right? Yeah. Like, are the things that we're ignorant about? Uh huh. We mistake those. We mistake our ignorance for for what is actually true. Oh, uh, I see. So we we might think things are facts, but they're really that is that we just can't see them for what they actually are, and they're we're like mistaken. Exactly right. Like like the good a good point would be the Black Plague, right? So they they can't see the they can't see the little bacterial particles, mm-hmm. but they don't realize that that they're ignorant. Right. Because they don't know that they're ignorant. So instead, they, they think they're getting all the information, which is that people get sick in a certain way. And so they mistake what, what they're missing for what is there. It's really weird. Well, I got to get this wrapped up. Thank you, anyone who's listening. Please write in. And I hope you had a good, uh, good week. I feel like we've been taking a huge break. So uh, we're going to get back, back on schedule. Anything else you want to add, Sam? Um, you should uh, read Secret Prince. Yeah, the Prince of Nothing. The Prince of Nothing. Yeah, read the right. Prince of Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week. Adios.